0: Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. Very last verse. Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray. Lord, We see this book and all the things that are in it and sometimes it's it's hard for us to relate but God, your truth stands through all of time, through all of eternity and so we pray this morning that you would open up our eyes to the truths of how this applies to our lives and Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint me to preach this word of yours and also that you would move forward and convict where conviction needs to come forward, Lord, and And repentance, where repentance needs to happen. Lord, uh, just use this time for your purposes, for your glory, that we would uh, desire to be more and more like you, Lord Jesus, and by your grace and mercy be able to walk in a way that truly honors you. So use this time, God, for your purposes, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, book after Joshua. You know, Joshua is just this... um, It seems like victory after victory, doesn't it? You read Joshua and you go, yeah. Moving to the promised land, conquering. They had a couple setbacks, but it's a lot of victory. Then you get to Judges and you think it's the same kind of a book. You think it's this book full of victories. I mean, you know, you've got Deborah and Barak. You have... Samson, I mean, who doesn't know the story of Samson? It's amazing. Samson, are you kidding me? Killing all those people with a jawbone and and tearing the temple apart, all this stuff. And what about Gideon? You talk about a huge victory. You know, uh, God basically tells Gideon to take his 32,000 soldiers and reduce them down to 300 and then go to war where his soldiers are outnumbered 450 to 1. And God does a miracle that night, and uh, the Midianites end up killing themselves, most of them. And you go, this, this book is this great book of victory. It makes sense. It follows after Joshua. Yet the book of Judges is really a book about defeat and disgrace. It's a book about gross sin and apostasy, It is considered the dark ages of Israel. The Book of Judges is the darkest book in the entire Bible. You go, what? Yep, that's that's what it is, and we'll explain why shortly. But you know what the great news is? Is this there is an incredible hope in this dark book, and that is this for you and I, and for the people back then, is that the Lord is faithful, even. When we are unfaithful, God will remain faithful. Who's the author of this book? We're really not sure. They believe it was possibly the prophet Samuel uh, at the start of King Saul's reign. So that's kind of when we think this book was written. Um, It was written between 1050 and 1000 BC and it covered the period of 1380 to 1050 BC that was 350 years in the promised land. So Joshua brings them in. Joshua, if you read uh, Judges, he dies in the beginning of this book. And then it's 350 years, and it's recording the time frame between Joshua's death and the very first king, King Saul. So that's the time span that we see in this book of Judges, 350 years. Uh, What does judges mean? Interesting uh, title for this book. It means judges, rulers, deliverers, or saviors. That's kind of the definition of the word judges. We have our Western mentality of a judge being somebody in the court making a decision. That's not necessarily what this means because there were military judges. I think six out of the 12 were military judges and you know, they were primarily uh, captains in the army of God. Um, but what we see is that they were strong leaders that God compassionately and lovingly chose to deliver his people from the oppression of their enemies. That's who these judges were. And we find Jesus in the book of Judges. First of all, he's the ultimate deliverer because these judges would deliver God's people from their oppression. So Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. We also see Christ in the announcement to Samson's mother that she was going to have a child who would deliver God's people. So you can see the parallel there. And then also uh, what we would call a pre-incarnate Christ, and that is found in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 when uh, the angel of the Lord, and you see how he words things. So a lot of scholars believe that is pre-incarnate Christ uh, there. So those are some of the pictures of Jesus in the book of Judges. There were 12 judges, but some ruled concurrently. They didn't rule over the entire nation of Israel. So some of these judges were at the same time because they were in different uh, ruling over different areas of the uh, Israeli nation. Take a look, here's the outline of Judges, chapters 1 and 2. The foundation for the era of Judges. What's, What's kind of the underlying theme of everything in the book of Judges? It's apostasy. What's apostasy? This is the definition. Act of rebelling against, forsaking, abandoning, or falling away from what one has believed. That's the foundation of Judges. And it's described in the first two chapters. Then we have chapters 3 through 16, the era of Judges, what happened. You know, this judge ruled, and then this happened, and then that judge ruled, and then this happened. So that's a record of the Judges. And then finally, chapters 17 through 21, the results of the era of Judges. We see that that was anarchy and confusion. So you can see why this book is so dark. That's the outline of the book of Judges. What we find is this. In the book of Judges, there were seven downward cycles, okay? And each cycle was deeper and darker in depravity. Each cycle, the people became further from the Lord than the previous generation, and also the previous judge seemed to get farther and farther away from God, with Samson being the last one recorded, and he was the farthest one. As a matter of fact, even the people in... uh, in Judges, it said they didn't even ask God to deliver them; they were that far away. Take a look, Judges. This is the uh, the structure of Judges in chapter two. Remember, it's laying the foundation. Well, what they do is they give us a pattern here in Judges about how the rest of this book is going to rotate from chapters three through sixteen. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, their oppressors. God was compassionate towards them because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. There it is. There's the summary of the book of Judges. Everything you read from 3 till 16 Tomorrow, when you get into the Word, go read through it, and you'll see this pattern happening every time. And each time, it's just going like this, deeper and deeper, and the judges and the people become more and more depraved and more and more distant from God. It's a pattern of unfaithfulness, disobedience, and apostasy. And then what happens? God disciplines them. He allows their enemies to take them captive or oppress them. Put them in bondage. And then what occurs is that the people cry out. And God delivers them through some through a judge. He has pity on them, as it says here. And what happens? They have this season of rest where they kind of sort of obey. And then right back into being unfaithful and disobedient and apostasy. They were sorry, but they really weren't. Repentant. Because repentance means that we turn from our sin toward God. Now we say, This is a book written long ago. Can't you relate to this? You know, you struggle in an area of sin, and you know you're you're just battling that, and you know, you repent and you walk for a while and then you struggle again. You know what's amazing to me in this book is that God knows the future. He knew every time He delivered them that they were going to go right back into it. Isn't our God amazing? His grace and His mercy. For us. Not back then, including them, but for us. The struggle that we have with sin. He's there. He forgives. He's faithful even when we're unfaithful. How did this... This whole cycle begin. How did this all happen? It began by them not being completely obedient to God's commands. Take a look, at God's word again. We're gonna go back to Deuteronomy, because we've got to see the foundation being laid and what God's told them to do, and then also in judges. Deuteronomy, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Remember when I preached on uh, Deuteronomy, I said it's important that you teach your children about the ways of the Lord and the acts of the Lord. It's important to do that. Raise up a generation. That's what was commanded here. And, And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So he commanded them to do that. The the, the things that I had communicated to Moses, you need to communicate to your children for generation upon generation. And then in Judges 2, 1 through 3 and 10, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal of Abakkan and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. They didn't do it. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. I warned you. I warned you. What did he say? Remember in uh, Numbers? You walk in obedience, I'll bless you. You walk in disobedience, there's these curses coming. That's what he's talking about here. He's following that right up. Verse 10 And all the generations, Joshua's generation, because it just talked about Joshua dying. So all of the generations were also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They disobeyed God. God said, go, and I want you to go in there and conquer them. Kill it all, everything, or their gods will have an impact on you, and they didn't do it. And he commanded the parents to raise your children up. Teach them the things of the Lord. Teach them, and they didn't do it. They didn't. Well, how can you say that, Dan? Well, because it was a generation that raised up that didn't know the works of the Lord. That's what it says here. They didn't, they didn't do it. What we see is that the parents ignored teaching the law of Moses and the mighty deeds to their children. And we see the pattern in Judges. How they didn't know the things of the Lord. There was no fear of God, in one sense. I want to say this. Parents, um, you can have a godly home, but there's no guarantee that your sins, that your children will not be sensual or walk in sins. There's no guarantee. We can raise our kids and we do the best we can, but ultimately they're going to make their call. And I understand the heartbreak when you raise your children in a home and one or two of them or whatever uh, don't chase after God. And it's easy to blame ourselves, okay, The thing here is that they didn't teach their children. And hopefully you did teach your children. But they make a call. And they're going to walk in that or not. But I want you to know this. And this is where we get our hope. Is that continue to pray for them. Continue to trust God. Because God didn't give them to you for no reason. You were the perfect parent for them. I believe that with all my heart. God would have given them to someone else. You don't parent perfectly, but you were the perfect parent for them. So trust God. Keep praying for them. trusting God's providence. God's got a call. Don't give up. I mean, if you raised them, you did the best you could, they made their call. All right. But keep loving. Keep trusting God and keep praying. God's got a plan. He's not done yet so don't you give up. Amen? I know, I know some of you are struggling with that, and uh, we need to hear that word of encouragement, that God is sovereign. He is above and in control of all these things. So the parents did not teach their children the ways of the Lord. Strong calling again for all of us. Then the next thing is, is they didn't take God seriously about the threat that their enemies posed. They didn't take God seriously about the threat that the enemies posed. Take a look again at God's word, Judges 3, 4 through 7. They were for the testing of Israel. He's talking about Israel's enemies. To know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served their gods. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashereth. You know, when you look at a parallel in the New Testament right here, you see where God commands us that, you know what, do not be unevenly yoked. Get that? Here it is live. Here's an example They didn't take God seriously. They had little compromises. It wasn't a big deal. Well, I still love Jesus. But you know those people that God told us to go in there and, and to take out? That one guy's really nice. And I, I think that's a little extreme on God's part. I know what he said, but it's just it's just One family. It's, it's just one little thing. They didn't obey God completely, and they didn't take their enemies, didn't take the threat of their enemies seriously. It's, it's not going to affect us. God, if we leave some of these people, here, it's not going to have an effect on us. I mean, look at We're tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or a million, and they're only like 500. Come on, God, surely, surely they're not going to affect us that much. You ever experienced that in your own life? It won't have that much of an effect. I mean, come on I love you, Lord. I'm standing strong. It won't have an effect on me. Little compromises that directly, When contrary to what God had commanded, instead of driving out those people, they let them stay. It's just a little sin. We let the enemy stay sometimes, I think, in our lives too, with a little sin. It's not that dangerous, it's just a little white lie. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of cheating on my taxes. And we invite the enemy in, and we take, we know what we're doing is contrary to what God has commanded, and yet we kind of look the other way. And these little compromises happen in our lives because they're not going to affect us. It's just a little. Like one guy said, it's just a little bit of poison, or I'm sorry, it's just a little bit of dog doo doo in the brownie mix. It's not much. <laughs> so you're going to eat the brownies? Many of us do, right? It's just a little. It's a little compromise. It's just yeah, I'm not. I know I'm not supposed to get drunk, but just one time is not going to be that bad, or just a little bit of rough language. I know, I struggle with that. You see, that's my little compromise. I get angry, and as I like to say, I use sentence enhancers. And I look the other way. Sometimes I think it's just because I want to feel like I fit in, or or that, um, because I kind of hang around with a Rougher crowd sometimes, and, you know, I I make those little compromises in my life, and then I find how it carries over at other times, and I go, oh, my goodness, Lord. These little compromises, a little stealing, a little lie. You see, they knew God's commands, but they disobeyed them. And look at the dangerous next step that happened here. That is happening in the churches around the world, in denominations, it is happening in society. They knew that God's command what God's commands were, what they, but they dis- decided to disobey them, which led them, which led them to decide that they would determine what is right and wrong. They did what was right in their own eyes. You see that? You see that, that, that slow slide here? They were going to determine what is right and wrong. Take a look. Numbers 15, 39 through 40. Remember all the commands of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commands and be holy to your God. In Judges 21, 25, the verse we read, in those days there was no king of in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And finally, Proverbs 12, a the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. See, that's what happens is, is that we slide. We slip down into this place where we're going to decide what is right and what is wrong. And so we've we've now come to the place where we've said, okay, uh, God, I know that this is what God commanded, but I'm just going to look the other way. I know this is wrong, but it's a small sin. It's a little bit. It's not much. It's not going to have that big of an effect on my life. Isn't that the way we start with drug addiction? I mean, that's the way it happened in my life. It's just a a little joint. It's just a little bit, you know, I'm not going to get... And you talk to guys that are, are, are hooked on, on hardcore drugs and they'll say it always starts out that way. It's just a little bit. It won't affect me. It's not going to pull me down. Same thing with pornography. It's just a little bit of porn. It's, 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 it's light porn. It's not big, deep stuff. It's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I, I remember years ago I watched a video and um, it was on Ted Bundy and he was warning people on how he slipped into uh taking the lives of others, murder. And it started out with with light pornography and just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper until he finally had to experience what he was watching. And he was warning me, don't take the first step. And so what we see here is that now we have decided that we're going to determine what is right and what is wrong rather than God so we say that things like abortion are okay i mean we'll use situational ethics she's a single mom how can she take care of the child situational ethics it's okay to lie in this situation or steal in this situation if i am poor and he is rich it's okay for me to steal from him really so the command doesn't in god's word doesn't apply to that no no It's stealing, it's lying, it's abortion, it's killing. And what we do is we want to mold the laws that God has said, don't do this, this is sin. And we want to massage it and we want to say, no, homosexuality is okay. Immorality is okay. It's okay. You see what we're doing? We're doing the exact same thing that the people back then did. They start out with realizing it's sin and accepting a little bit of it, and then they get to a place where I think this is my personal belief. They get they keep going deeper and deeper down into it, and they realize this isn't little anymore. So in order to appease their conscience, they have to say, it's not sin. You see the dangerous slide here? That it's so easy for us to fall into. And we see it in the world, and we point it out in the world, but when it comes to our own lives, we look the other way. We kind of have that attitude that the Israelites had. It's just a little bit. It's not going to affect me. And yet God says, be holy as I am holy. It's a call to holiness for all of us. And we stumble and we fall, and we fall short so many times. And we're just like Israel. We repent and we ask God to forgive us and then we have a season of good and then all of a sudden we struggle with it again because we leave it in our lives so many times and then all of a sudden we're right back in the cycle over and over again. And God's got a better way for us. Instead of transforming the land, the land had transformed the Israelites They looked just like the people around them. There was no difference. They were into idolatry. They were into paganism. They were into immorality. They looked no different. No different than the pagans, the people around them, the world. These little compromises led them to moral and spiritual collapse. How did it happen? a little bit at a time. And each generation, worse and worse and worse. Farther from the Lord, more depraved. You wonder how America got where we did? Where the world got where we did right there? A little bit at a time. And what we find here, again, in God's word is this. That God does not allow sin to go unpunished. He doesn't allow sin to go unpunished. Take a look, God's word again. Deuteronomy. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And then in verse 15, but if you do not obey the voice of the the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. That's exactly, exactly what happened in Judges. Exactly. He warned them. He warned them. In Judges 3, 7 through 8, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashereth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And then in Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And Joel 2, 13, Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see, God allowing those enemies to oppress them was an expression of God's love. What? It was an expression of God's love. He was disciplining them. They had made a choice to disobey God, to walk in uh, disobedience to the Lord's commands. And He said, I love you enough that I'm going to spank you. That's dangerous for you. I know how that's going to destroy you. And so I'm going to love you enough to spank you, discipline you. And I'm going to do that through these enemies that you would return to me, that you would repent and that you would return to me. That's what God was doing the whole time. It was an extension of his love and his grace and his mercy. He kept loving them in spite of their sin. He kept remaining faithful to them even when they were unfaithful. He made a promise that he was going to keep. He's made a promise to you and I that he is going to keep. But he loves us enough that if we're going to rebelliously walk in sin against him, that he's going to discipline us. And it's not going to be pleasurable, as it says in the Word of God. At the time of discipline, it's not fun. But God has a purpose. He loves us enough to want to call us to back to Him. And so He'll let us reap what we've sown. You want this? I'll let you have it. But you see how desperate it is? See where You, you, you sit? Do you really want this? He lovingly disciplined them that they might return to him. And I love what my, I, I, I usually give my sermon to Lisa the night before. And she, she put it this way. She said, we taught our kids this. And I thought, that I gotta say that. Well, you can either do it the easy way or the hard way. Right? Easy way or hard way. Uh, old Fram commercials, you can pay me now or pay me later. Right? All you old school people. But easy way or the hard way. God says, the easy way, that doesn't mean you won't have suffering in difficult times, okay? Don't get me wrong. Nor is this talking about God casting us aside if we disobey, one little disobey, and God's judgment's coming down because that's God's grace and mercy. But he's talking about the fact that, you know, you do sow what you reap, even if you, or you reap what you sow even if you are a believer. And that God loves us. He's d- disciplining us because he loves us and he wants to draw us to himself and for us to find our satisfaction in him and not these other things. So he disciplines those he loves. And you know what? Here is such good news for us today. So far you go, boy, not only is this book dark, your message is really dark, Dan. <laughs> okay? It's hard when we're confronted with our sin, isn't it? it? It's difficult. I had to do this a whole week. And little things that you go, yeah, you know what? I do kind of look the other way. I got to, God, I got to uh, walk. I got to walk more holy in this area or that area. But the hope is this, and this is where the joy comes in through this message and the glory of the gospel shines through to every one of us in this room, is this. As you read in Judges, you see this, that God always responds to the least bit of repentance. That's the glory. You read through Judges and these people are going, and as soon as they cry out to God, he responds, and he forgives them, and he sends a judge, and he delivers them. What a God, because he knew that they were gonna just do it right again. They were gonna go right back to it, and he knew, yet he still extended his love to them. And we see how the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. There you go, New Testament verse right here in chapters 3 through 16 in Judges. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. God is quick to respond at the least little bit of repentance. He is waiting with open arms for you. And I know what the enemy likes to whisper in your ear because he whispers it in mine. How many times do you have to ask God to forgive you? He's not going to forgive you. I mean, you really don't. You're not really repentant. You keep struggling in this area. And that's where God's grace comes in and his mercy That's the amazing thing of the gospel. It's not about our performance, it's about God's grace and mercy and what Christ has done for us and what he is doing in us. So repent. If there was something that the Lord laid on your heart during this message, repent of it. And God is quick to forgive. You still may reap what you have sown. But many times God's grace is just, uh, it's even amazing how that doesn't occur as much as we would think it would. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the Holy Spirit within you. I'm pounding you with a lot of verses today, but that's okay. Here's another section. Romans 12:2. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And finally, James 4, and verse 4 and 7, you adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So how can we practically take steps to walk in holiness, these little compromises, these little things? First of all, I would say this. Avoid friendship with the world. And you go, oh, no. He's talking about isolation here. You know, you mean I gotta dress like, you know, dress a certain way, whatever that, you know, you're thinking about the church lady, right? You gotta, I gotta dress like that? You mean I can't have a tattoo or I can't do this or I can't. What? You need to be in the world, but not of the world. Is there enough difference in the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you think, that the world would see a difference between you and them? Be in the world. I hang out with rough guys. I wear, you know, pretty dirty clothes and stuff if you've ever seen. And you wouldn't know. You know, Lisa always jokes. She says, you know, don't wear that. Somebody's going to walk up and give you money. They're going to think you're homeless or something. (laughs) Seriously, she says that. It's who I am, okay? It's just, hey, I'm in the world. I ain't of the world. And so, you know what? It's not talking about isolation from the world. But it is saying that there should be enough difference in us that the world looks at us and says, they're different. Something's different about them. They're not like us. That's okay. That's okay. So avoid friendship with the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. Don't love the things of the world. Next, resist the enemy by knowing and humbly receiving help with your weaknesses. Resist the enemy by knowing and humbly receiving help with your weaknesses. Samson is the perfect story for this. Here's Samson, the strongest man probably in the entire Bible, right? But he didn't know his weakness. His weakness was lust. That's what his weakness was. It was lust. And strengths will lead you to triumph, but weaknesses will lead you to defeat and destruction. And that's what happened with Samson. He did not know his weaknesses. And I say, know your weaknesses and humbly receive help with your weaknesses. Accountability. I was with someone this week that I knew had a struggle with with alcohol consumption. So I hadn't seen him in a while, and I sat down, and we were in our conversation about a half hour. I looked him in the eyes and said, how are you doing with your drinking? And he he said, you know, I've been doing good except this one time, and I want to confess it to you. You see, there was that accountability. It was a humility that a long time ago he told me, this is my weakness, this is my downfall. This is my Achilles heel, for those of you that are familiar with that term. This is my Achilles heel, and I want you to hold me accountable to it. So it took humility on his part to admit that that was his weakness because especially guys, we all, all want to be strong. I was just talking to Dan out there and we get older and you know, we were always the guys that were giving the help and now we have to ask for it. That's a humbling thing. And when we're talking here about a weakness, we're saying, you know what, I have to identify my weakness. Sometimes you have to ask people that are close to you what those weaknesses are because we walk in pride. We think we don't have any. What are your weaknesses? Ask them. What do you see as as flaws, maybe struggles that I have in my character or weaknesses that I have? What are they? Could it be lust? Not just for uh, a sexual type of lust, but what about financial lust? Greed. How about this? Discontent. Is that your weakness? No matter what happens, you're never happy with whatever it is. And that's just something people see in you. What about worry? You're always worried about everything. Constantly worrying, constantly worrying. Or anger. Another one is bitterness. You just can't forgive people. Everybody else sees it and you don't. I think I can struggle with that at times. You see, let's ask God to work in our hearts God, show us our weaknesses because they'll destroy us. They'll defeat us. What are they? We all, what kind of society today know what you're strong at know what all is? And we focus on that and we forget, man, that's all good and fine, but your weaknesses destroy you. Brothers and sisters, in conclusion, I would say this. Judges is a testament of God's love and patience and omnipotence. That's what Judges is. People that fail over and over again yet God's grace and mercy are new every morning. They repent the slightest bit of repentance and God steps in. And he, as he said in the very beginning of Judges, I made a promise to you, a covenant to you, and I will keep it. He does this, says the same thing to every one of us. I will keep that covenant. I get it because the Lord is faithful even when we're unfaithful. That's about grace and mercy. That's our God. Take a look at these final verses. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. It's all about God. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. First John 1, 9-10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally, 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9, who God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Aren't you glad we have a faithful God? Aren't you glad he's called us and he will complete that which he began? That's our Savior. And when you sin, remember that God is quick to forgive and He is still sovereign even in spite of your sin. He will accomplish all His purposes in and through your life. And we see it over and over again in Judges. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come to You today, Lord, with just grateful hearts that Sometimes when hard things need to be said, you say them, but you say them in so loving and kind ways, knowing that your hand is extended, that your arms are wide open, that there is forgiveness in the cross. Lord, if there's ways that we are compromising in small things, would you show us that? Would you grant us the grace and the strength to walk in holiness? God, would you do this work so that your name would be glorified and that we would be different than the world around us and the world would notice and that your name might be glorified through it. So God, do a work in us and do it for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.